Hi, thank you for listening to Trinity San Diego Podcast. If this is your first time tuning in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message will encourage you. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, you can help us by reaching others by investing at trinitysandiego.org slash give. Thanks again for joining us. Now here's Pastor Katie. Um, we've been doing this series uh, on joy no matter what. And it's a collection of talks based on the book of Philippians. And uh, this is an interesting book because it, it was written from a prison. Right? It's all about joy, but it's written from a prison. And that seems like a big paradox and a dichotomy, right? How can you have joy when you're in prison? Well, Jesus is the reason, and what he did on the cross gives us the opportunity to say, I can have joy no matter what, no matter what I face, no matter what uh, is trying to suck the life or the joy out of me in this moment, I can, I can do that. And so uh, this morning, I'm going into Philippians 3. By the way, don't you just love the presence of the Lord? He was here this morning. He's here now. Um, and I, we've been praying for every one of you. I want you all to know that, um, that he would do something and speak something into your heart this morning that's new, that's fresh, that's different, and I believe that he's going to be setting some people free this morning. But uh, how many have, have what I call joy suckers? Like, like leeches, right? That kind of suck the life right out of you. And all of you are thinking of like that neighbor or you're thinking of that coworker in the cubicle next to you or that person that sleeps in the bed with you. Just don't go there. Just don't go there. <laughs> Don't go there. But uh, we all have um, these things in our life that are joy suckers that I believe that the enemy uses um, to really suck joy out of our spirits because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if we are not able to have joy in our spirit, our strength is sapped to keep going and to keep stepping into our purpose of being the best moms and dads that we can be or the best community citizens, the best uh, leaders in our workplaces. If we do not have the strength, the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you don't have the strength to keep going and walking within your purpose, then uh, the enemy gets a, a hold, a stronghold in our life. And so I think it's really really, really important for us to talk about the fact that there are real joy suckers. And Paul is talking about them in, in chapter 3. And particularly, it's the flesh is what constitutes this joy-sucking component in this particular passage. And I wanted to focus not just on Philippians chapter 3 this morning, although that is uh, the base context or the base text for the context of this message, uh, but I wanted to kind of focus on this topic of the flesh. And now if you're not familiar with that term, the flesh, uh, it's, it's basically what human nature is. It's our human tendencies after Genesis 3 in the fall, what our human tendencies uh, tend to gravitate towards or what we tend to want to consume or to, co to come and be a part of us, that is the flesh. So when I define that for you, that when I say the flesh, that's what I'm talking about. It's our humanity. And Paul, when he's addressing the church of Philippi in chapter 3, uh, the actual title of this passage going into the first few verses of the passage is no confidence in the flesh. Because he, was, he, had, he had discovered something primarily in prison, I believe, that the flesh 
is actually something that can suck the joy and the life out of you because he was writing a book about joy within prison. So therefore he was starting to define and he was able to see what are these things that really suck the joy and the life out of the believer, out of our spirits. What are those things? And I believe that it is the flesh. And I'm going to give you three ideas this morning if you're taking notes. But these three ideas are on what I would call a pendulum, a pendulum of faith, okay? In the scriptures, there is a vast pendulum, and if you're not familiar with what a pendulum is, it's something, I, I know I should have looked up the actual term <laughs> before, I, before I decided to present on the pendulum. However, I did look it up. Uh, it's it's, it's, a, it's a, like a stick that is hanging, or a metal stick that's hanging from a particular area or source, and um, it is moved by a force of gravity back and forth, okay? It's moved by a force, and it's moved uh, eventually into the center. That's, that's, that's the, the central place where it's supposed to end up. However, gravity and the forces that are meant to move it keep moving it from back and forth. And so I really think that there's this pendulum. If we're going to talk about the flesh, there's a pendulum that Paul talks about and that the scriptures talk about of our flesh being joy suckers. The first pendulum is right here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about this as this is the, the left, okay? The left side. This is not political, so just don't even go there, okay? This is not political. The left side of the pendulum is what Paul is talking about in Philippians chapter 3, having no confidence in the flesh, but it might be different than what you think. Let's read here. Actually, I want to pray first, okay? This is how we roll here. If you're new here, I want to encourage you, fill out one of those You Belong cards. We would love to pray for you and believe for you, but sometimes I get random up here when I uh, do, my, do my talk, so just roll with it, okay? All right, everybody, everybody that calls this home, say amen. 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 All right, Jesus, be with us. We want your presence and your spirit to speak to us and set us free from some areas of our flesh that need to be set free. We love you in your name. Amen. 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 All right. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to go through verses 1 through 4 and 7 and 8. And I'm reading from the Passion Translation this morning. I really love this translation. It's a newer one. And so that one will be up on your screens if you don't have your Bibles. But it says, My beloved ones, don't ever limit your joy or fail to rejoice in the wonderful experience of knowing our Lord Jesus. I don't remind repeating what I've already written to you because it protects you. You see, he opens up the passage with repeating what he's already said in the former passages. In chapters one and two, he's saying to rejoice. If you guys were here, uh, the last time I talked about anxiety, which was about a month ago, I talked about the meaning of rejoice means to cause joy too, which means it's when you rejoice, you are pushing joy into your environment. You are pushing joy into your situation. That's why it's so important to rejoice no matter what, because when you feel terrible, when you are facing circumstances that are too hard for you, that divorce, the financial ruin, the alcoholism, whatever it is that you are facing, you can rejoice, which causes joy to come into your situation and your circumstances. It can push anxiety out when you choose to rejoice. So he's telling us, he's telling the book of uh, the church of Philippi, he's telling the church of Trinity San Diego, he's reminding us, number one, to rejoice. Why? Because it's a protection. It protects the believer to remind ourselves of what's healthy, not what's unhealthy. 
It protects our joy. When, when, when the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. However, you have to start protecting your freedom. You don't just get to lay out there and not protect your freedom because you have a real enemy that is coming to steal, kill, and devour your faith, and he will try to do everything he can to take that freedom from you. So even if the sun sets you free, yes, you are free indeed. However, you need to remind yourself to rejoice in whatever it is that you might be going through, okay? Because that is what protects you. It's a protection. Beware of those religious Here's where he goes in, okay? Beware of those religious hypocrites who teach that you should be circumcised to please God. That was a religious ritual and a duty back in that day and culture. For we have already experienced heart circumcision and we worship God in the power and the freedom of the Holy Spirit, not in laws and religious duties. We are those who boast in what Jesus Christ has done and not in what we can accomplish in our own strength. It's true that I once relied on all that I had become. I had a reason to boast and impress people with my accomplishments more than others, for my pedigree was impeccable. And then Paul, I took out chapters, or I'm sorry, verses five and six, because then he just goes through and he lists specifically what his pedigree was. But he was saying, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was, uh, I was uh, committed to Judaism. I was the most devout uh, Jew, and, and, and I actually persecuted Christians. He persecuted people who followed Jesus as a result of this level of religion that he followed. Then we're going to go into verse 7 and 8. It says, yet all of the accomplishments that I once took credit for, I have now forsaken them, and I regard it all as nothing compared to the delight of experiencing Jesus Christ as my Lord, to truly know him meant letting go of everything from my past and throwing all my boasting on the garbage heap. It's all like a pile of manure to me now so that I may be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus Christ and embrace him as the Lord in all of his greatness. You know, you notice a, a sense of self kind of emphasized in this passage, right? Paul is, he keeps talking about him, what he's doing, and his accomplishments. And I don't think that's because he's self-centered. I think that that's because he's, he's, he's communicating the power of telling a testimony, right? Right? When we tell our story, our testimony, it doesn't have to be self-centered. If, if it's all about you and about what you've done, right, um, and you never turn it back to Jesus, that's not a testimony, <laughs> okay? But when you learn how to bring it back to Jesus-centered, Jesus-focused living, that's what, a, what the power of a testimony is. And so he's saying, I have no confidence in the flesh. I have no confidence in what I can accomplish in my own piety, in my own righteousness, when I have to follow rules and legalistic uh, duties to make sure that I'm righteous enough. He is He is. That is the opposite of the gospel. That is the opposite of why Jesus came because it says that I am not righteous. I don't got this without him. Without the power of the cross, without you knowing how to lean into the power of the cross and leaning into the name of Jesus, your righteousness will never be enough. The rules, the regulations that you follow will never be enough. Will, you will not... Every Sunday that you attend will not be enough if it's all about your own rule following. 
I know we tell people, come as much as you can every Sunday because the presence of the Lord is here and he wants to give you life and life abundant and he wants to set you free, not because you need more righteousness or you need to check some spiritual things off your list. There's no spiritual checklist. You've got to lean into the cross, the sacrifice and the power of the blood of Jesus to receive righteousness because our righteousness is filthy rags compared to his. A joy-filled life begins not with being self-focused, but with Jesus' focus. And this pendulum of the flesh in the scripture, it goes from one side, which is what Paul's talking about. No confidence in my religious accomplishments, my righteousness, the piety that I have accomplished by being uh, a devout Jew, all the way to the other side, to human weakness, to the flesh, the nature, the sin nature. And it's interesting, Jesus talked about this, how the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, this is the side of us where we want to do the right thing. We want to, because we, we maybe know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus and you're not sure what I'm talking about, I'm going to introduce you to him in just a few minutes. But if you, if you know Jesus, you want to do the right thing. The spirit is willing, but sometimes the flesh is weak. So we don't, in our spirits, we don't want to constantly be nagging and criticizing our spouse. My spouse just laughed, by the way, at that. My spirit doesn't want to do that all the time because my spirit is where Jesus lives. And that's opposite of who his, his character is. But my flesh sometimes wants to pull me in that direction. My flesh wants to criticize and nag a little bit. My mother-in-law is here this morning, and so she's seen it, so she can attest to it. But my, my, but my spirit is willing to do the right thing, but my flesh is weak, and sometimes I give in to the temptation, just like all of us do. Right? And so Jesus had his best friends. He wanted his best friends to come with him to the Garden of Gethsemane, which was where he prayed for the, for the, the cross, the assignment of going to the cross to be crucified. He prayed that God would take that away from him right? Because he was fully God, but he was fully human. And he had a flesh nature and he knew what was coming and that his flesh would literally be crucified. He knew that the pain that he was going to experience was going to be hard. And so he, that's why we have somebody, that's why Jesus is so reliable, you guys, for us humans is because we have somebody that actually experienced physical pain. He experienced a flesh nature of not wanting to go through with certain things that we know we need to go through with. That's why he's so reputable for us to follow. But anyway, that was not part of my message, but I'm sorry, I was going into the Gethsemane and so he's praying, he's asking God, let this cup pass from me and, he's, and, and the Lord does not let the, the cup pass from him, but he keeps going back because he asked his three best friends who were fully human, not fully God, to come with him. And then he was like, can't you just stay awake for one hour? Can't you just stay awake for one hour and just pray with me? And it says here, I'm going to read it for you. It says, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men just watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Peter was his number one, okay? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You guys, the flesh is constantly being tempted. 
We're constantly being tempted by the tempter and then we're being accused by the accuser after we fall into the temptation. And what happens is, is there's this cycle that starts to happen where we feel empty when we, when we engage in sin nature, but then when we, when we, when we uh, disengage or when we try to stand up against it, then we feel like we're being attacked and it's, being, it's too hard. And so look at this cycle that we get into. This is the flesh. And this is why Paul talked about we have no confidence in the flesh. That's why Jesus says, when the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak, how do we come up out of it? Because this is a joy sucker. We're talking about joy no matter what. Joy suckers are the flesh. And here's how I want to just show this to you here. Number one, the number one joy sucker here in the flesh is the flesh boasts in what it can accomplish to achieve piety or holiness, not in the cross. It boasts in what it can, my righteousness. I read my Bible every single day of the week. I pray in tongues all the time. I come to church every Sunday. I serve my church. Now, let me tell you something. All of those things that I just listed are, are right. Those are the things that we should be doing as active believers. However, if I am doing those things as a, as a level of um, making sure that I'm doing enough, that, that it looks like I'm righteous and I have internal stuff going on, that's religion. And that's joy sucker number one is a religious spirit. That's what Paul was talking about. When he was saying, I have no confidence in the flesh, he was listing his pedigree. He was listing things that actually suck the joy out of his existence because he was killing people. Happy people don't kill other people. They don't persecute other people. So that tells me that he's living a perfectly religious life. He's following all the rules. He's, he's doing everything that Judaism is telling him to do. And he's killing people. Joy sucker. Religious spirit. A spirit of religion will suck the joy right out of you. Do you guys know what ratchet means? Ratchetness. Ratchet. If you don't know what ratchetness means, you can look it up on Urban Dictionary. Okay? It basically just means nasty. Nastiness. And I just, I just wrote this down because I was just thinking this. External righteousness with internal ratchetness equals religion. So Paul <laughs> was a Pharisee. And Pharisees were the most elite religious leaders of the day. In fact, they were so elite that there was only 6,000 of them on earth at the time. Out of all of humanity, there was only 6,000 of them. And they were recognized and known for following the law to the most minute detail. To where they were excommunicating other people from God. They were so exclusive and they were so elite and they were so mad. They were the ones that actually put Jesus on the cross, our Savior, the one that died to give them freedom and us freedom. They were the ones that nailed him to the cross. That doesn't sound like joy, right? Those don't sound like happy people. I wanted to just list a couple things um, about religion that it's kind of like a, maybe like a checklist, like, who do I do this or do I focus on this? Because I had to write this down and I had to really ask myself, where do I fall in this category? Do I do, I, do, I do well in this category? Am I living with a spirit of religion about people or am I 
living with the spirit of Jesus. Religion puts more values on rules than people. Puts more value on rules than people. So if we see a broken person in a broken situation, they're going through something really hard, and we give them a set of rules and they don't follow it and we don't accept them, that's religion. When we don't accept people and see people the way Jesus sees them, covered under the blood, covered under his blood, and we put our rules and expectations on them, that's religion. That's how you know. Religion puts yokes or burdens on people. Okay? Jesus takes them off. In Matthew 28, I don't, I'm sorry I don't have the passage up here, but in Matthew 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for it is easy. It is humble. I am humble and gentle in nature. You see, the Holy Spirit, when he convicts of sin, when he convicts the flesh, he's humble and he's gentle. Religion is like a hammer that hammers people and hammers people and hammers people. Religion creates a blanket standard for everyone based off of one person's personal convictions. And this one's a hard one kind of for me to explain, so I wanted to illustrate it because it's, it's, it's a little ambiguous when you say it. But there was a man named uh, Billy Nolan um, back in the 1990s. He was, uh, he was an alcoholic for 35 years. He was 18 years old, and he ran away from home, and he lived on the streets in London and um, just struggled with alcoholism and homelessness. And he would actually park himself right outside of the Holy Trini Trinity Bible Church in London which um, Nikki Gumbel is the pastor of, and he's an amazing pastor, amazing man. And so I read his devotional sometimes. He was telling the story about Billy. And uh, one day uh, in May of 1990, after 35 years of alcoholism and homelessness and sitting outside of the church, he decided to go in. And he had a transformational, radical experience with the person of Jesus. He gave his life to Jesus that day, and he never turned back. But one of the uh, personal choices and convictions that he had made personally be between him and Jesus was that he would never touch alcohol ever again. Not a single drop. And he never did. As far as Nikki knew, because Nikki was writing the devotional at the time. But what I wanted to illustrate with a religion when it creates a blanket standard for everyone based off of one person's personal convictions, that was a personal conviction and that was something between him and God, which, by the way, God is not going to tell you things about other people, okay? He, you're in charge of you, and God's in charge of them, and so don't start putting your blanket standard over other people. The problem is, is when we get religious about something that is a personal conviction, and we start stretching that, we start blanketing that standard over every single person that has a drink, and we start judging our brother and sister based off of our own personal standards, we get into a dangerous place of a religious spirit, right? Because we are not called to judge. We don't know that person's journey. So don't judge other people's journey based off of your personal convictions. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to talk any further about that. It's just an illustration of how you can kind of start to identify, am I living under a spirit of religion or am I living under the law of freedom, the new covenant that Jesus died to give me? And am I extending that same grace to other people? Okay? All right. The opposite of the gospel is religion. <laughs> that is the opposite. But the gospel uh, of the message of Jesus 
came for those who could not measure up no matter what, which means that's how we could say joy no matter what because of what Jesus did. And I have an affirmation that I thought maybe if you want to take a picture of the screen, you can. It's a little bit long, but I wanted to give with every joy sucker, I need to give you an affirmation, right? So this is not a joy sucking service, all right? I want to give you the affirmation. The affirmation is my joy is not dictated or controlled by following a religious mindset where rules and duties determine my worth or purpose. My joy comes from knowing that Jesus went to the cross so that I could be free to know that he delights in me. Because it says in John 8, 36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Number two, the flesh tells you that if it feels good, this is the opposite side of the pen pendulum, right? By the way, we went from left to we're going way right now, okay? This is the opposite side. And when it, when it tells you that if it feels good, it's okay. Or if it's okay for someone else, then it must be okay for me. Hmm. Culture says it's okay, then it must be okay. If it has a big following, it must be okay. Okay? Opposite side of the pendulum. Way right. We went from way left to way right. Okay? And I feel like it's really important to address both sides. Okay? Because I'm not going to lean heavily on either side. It's, it's, it's in the scriptures, so I got to talk about both. But this joy sucker is sin. It promises pleasure, but it leaves you empty. And in the words of Ravi Zacharias, I thought this was so good to really explain this, is sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. We don't arrive in a full-blown addiction or full-blown weight problem or full-blown affair overnight. Those things don't happen overnight. Those things happen one compromise at a time. One small, tiny compromise at a time. And every time you give into your flesh just a little bit more, when you keep looking at that thing a little bit too long that you're not supposed to be looking at, it, gets, it promises pleasure in the moment, but it leaves you empty in the long run. It can destroy relationships. It can destroy your faith. It can destroy your body. It can just dis destroy. And so sin is our number two joy sucker. That's the flesh. That's the human nature, the flesh nature. And um, I was trying to think of uh, an example of this, and it didn't take me too long <laughs> to find one, <laughs> as I am a human being that also um, has temptations and fleshly nature. And uh, there was this TV show that was quite popular uh, a while ago, and Todd's going to know exactly what I'm talking about as soon as I tell this story. But I said to Todd, everybody's crazy about this show, and we've never seen it, and I feel like, I feel like I don't know what I'm talking about, you know, or I feel like I'm not part of culture, so I feel like we got to watch this show. And he's like, okay, you know, and like somebody had recommended it to us. And um, the thing about this show is that uh, I knew um, that some of the reviews about it were, they were like high-rated reviews because culture says it's okay, but um, it was highly graphic in sexual content, highly graphic in violent content, and just really kind of like outside um, of what we would normally engage in watching. And so I, uh, I said to him, though, I was like, well, if everybody else is doing it, I guess it's probably not that bad, right? Like, I'm like, let's just turn it on. Like, it's probably fine. 
And so we turned it on, and um, I watched the whole first episode, and Todd was like, really? And I was like, I don't know. I'm kind of interested. I'm kind of interested in all of this stuff. Like, I feel like I have to know what happens. I, I need to know what happens. And so we watched the second episode. And true to the reviews, we got, we got, we saw what we read we were going to see. And it was graphic. And uh, I was still sucked in. And I couldn't pull myself out. And Todd was like, are we really going to keep going? And I was like, okay, just let me watch one more. Just let me watch one more. I just want to see what happens. I want to see if it gets better. I want to see if it gets better, if it, if it gets cleaner, then we'll, we'll keep going, you know? And so I'm like, okay, let's just do it. Because, like, there was some kind of little satisfaction happening, like, for me to know what the drama and for me to, like, see this, like, nasty thing, like, for whatever reason in our flesh, we just can't not look at it. Like, we can't just, like, we can't just not look at it. When you see certain things, you're just like, oh, my gosh, I can't not look at it. Like, when people are fighting, like, having an all-out brawl, like at the mall, you know, and you're just like, I can't not look. That's me. <laughs> That's totally me. I'm like, or I'm like this, you know, I'm like, mm, you know, trying to, trying to walk away and get my kids out of there, but like, so they don't see it, but I'm like, kind of like, trying to like figure out what's going on over there. That's how we are. And y'all, y'all, some of you are nervous laughing because you know it's true. And you're, and you're, you know, you, I'm kind of calling out some people. It's okay. It's okay. We're, we're, this is a participatory experience, by the way, right? Yeah, so we say amen, we laugh, it's cool. We can laugh in church. Um, but, you know, it was kind of that whole situation with me in this show. And uh, I was just like, oh my gosh, I cannot watch. You know, I cannot look at it. And um, after I was done with the third episode, um, that one was like really like over the top. And I just was like, ooh. Like I instantly turned the thing off. And I was like, ew, I really don't feel good. Like my spirit had been offended at what it had seen. And it started manifesting in nausea because I was like so grossed out by like what I had seen and ha had allowed my mind and my flesh to engage in. And I was just like, man, why do I feel so awful? But here's the, here's the beauty of being a follower of Jesus. You can just ask him. You know that you can just inquire of the Lord and just ask him, what was, what was that? What was that about? And I, I did, I asked him, I said, what, why do I feel so awful? And I was reflecting on those images. And he was like, just don't do it again. He said, you're done now. No more. He didn't give me an explanation, but he just said, no more. You're done. And um, I heard it really loud and clear, let me tell you. And there was part of me that was like, yeah, but, I, but what if... I still want to know what happens after that. You know, like there's part of our flesh that wants to keep going. We want to keep going into it. But when the Holy Spirit, when Jesus starts speaking into your spirit and he says, no more, you're done. You need to, you need to listen to that. And I said to Todd, so Todd asked me, he said the next day, he said, so are we watching, you know, this show? And I was like, nope, we're done. And he's like, why? And I was like, the Holy Spirit totally convicted me last night. And uh, I was like, we are not allowed to watch that show. Just so you know, Todd, we not allowed to watch that show. Um, and, and that's just an example of like how temptation in our flesh and how sin will promise something. It will promise a pleasure and you'll, get, you'll engage in that fleshly nature for just a moment. Then it leaves you empty. It leaves you feeling like, man, why do I feel like I'm 10 steps behind when I'm trying to take five steps forward in my walk with Jesus? It's the sin nature. It's a joy sucker.
and it, will, and it will suck the life right out of you. It will promise you everything up front and then it will take everything from you in the end. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we all experience times of testing, which is normal for every human being, but God will be faithful to you. He will screen and filter the severity and the nature and the timing of every test or trial or temptation that you might face so that you can bear it. And each test is an opportunity to trust him more for along with every trial or temptation of the flesh, God has provided for you a way of escape that will bring you out of it victoriously. Here's the deal. When Jesus, when I stepped away from that TV show and I turned it off and I went and sat in my bedroom, in my dark bedroom, because he was in bed, he didn't want to have anything to do with it. And I just, I just sat there and I asked him, that was the way out for me right there. When he spoke into my spirit, and he'll speak into yours too if you ask him, that was the way out. He provided the way out. He just said, no more. That's not good for you. That's contaminating your spirit. And you can keep going if you want because you have a free will. But what he was doing was he was giving me a sweet conviction. And you guys, conviction comes with a hopefulness. Okay, like when you feel condemnation, when you feel heavy and guilt-ridden, that's not the Holy Spirit right? It, when you feel condemnation, here's the difference between conviction and condemnation. If you want to just have like a little score sheet to figure out if what I'm feeling is condemnation or conviction, conviction always leaves you hopeful. Condemnation always leaves, leaves you hopeless. Wow. Great. It leaves you hopeless. It leaves you feeling like there's never going to be a way out. It's never going to get any better. That is the enemy. And he is trying to put condemnation on you. But the Bible says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? So because of what Jesus did and because of the power of the cross, we don't have to be condemned by our sin nature. We don't have to, but we can be convicted to be better because he doesn't want anything for us that's not, that's not good, that's contaminating us. Does that make sense? Can I move on? Are we good? My affirmation is my joy comes from knowing that I have the power through the Holy Spirit, through the cross, to not be controlled or moved by my temptations. That's your affirmation. All right, number three. The flesh focuses, this is the middle of the pendulum, in my opinion, okay? We went from far right to far left, and now we're here in the middle. This is more of the middle. And this is, this is something that um, I think more people might identify with than not, and it's focusing on multiple distractions, versus the one thing that's needed. And I'm going to tell you what the one thing that's needed is. But the joy sucker number three is busyness and the demands of others put on me or the demands I myself put on me. Joy sucker number three. Me in the last few weeks, let me just tell you, give you, <laughs> give you just a picture of what I've had in the last few weeks. I have had, my sister's getting married in September. Yep, yeah, mm -hmm. and I am the matron of honor, and I'm really excited because I'm probably never going to be asked to do that again. Uh, so, how, so I should probably try to enjoy it, right? I, this is a, it's a great honor. It's my baby sister. Um, she's my only sister. Uh, my entire our entire family's in the wedding. Todd's officiating the wedding. My my son is the ring bearer, and my daughter is the flower girl. And so it's a very special time for us. Um, and I, like I said, this will probably never happen again. <laughs> that our whole entire family will be in a wedding celebrating somebody else's marriage together. So as a matron of honor, um, which by the way, does everyone else feel like that sounds like old matron? I'm going to call myself the maid of honor just because, even though I'm married. I'm the maid of honor, and so I have all these duties, duties, okay, all the things that I have to do 
to accomplish to make her wedding go as planned. So we had the bachelorette weekend, um, 4th of July weekend. I was gone all weekend for that. And I was heavily involved in the planning processes and all of that to get that done. And then the following weekend we had, which was last weekend, we had a bridal shower, which I was completely in charge of. So I wasn't totally in charge of the bachelorette. And then I was completely in charge of the bridal shower. And it all had to happen within these two weeks. And baby sis, if you're listening, I love you. But um, it all had to happen within these two weeks because her schedule is really hectic with her school schedule, and which is fine. But um, what happened was is that I have all kinds of other things going on <laughs> other than the wedding. So I have my kids. My kids are home for full time for the summer. Um, I have uh, my marriage. I have the church. I have lots of friends that I'm always meeting with. And, and I have a side business. And I have all this stuff. Kind of, I have all these irons on the fire. And when the wedding stuff kind of got on top of all of my normal irons in the fire, uh, I wanted to enjoy it. Like I really wanted to enjoy it, but it felt like I was so busy and so distracted and I had so many things being demanded of me, of my time, of my money, uh, all, all, all kinds of things. And so I was really, really frustrated and feeling spiritually depleted for the last two weeks because I realized that I hadn't even talked to Jesus in two weeks and I'm a pastor, Okay. So that should make you feel good that you're human and I'm human. And I just am doing the best I can. I'm waking up every day and I'm doing the best I can. But because of this season, this busyness season, and the things that I had put on myself, a lot of these things I put on myself, right? The things that I demanded of myself to accomplish. You see, that's why this is in the pendulum kind of in the middle, because we're going back to what I can accomplish. So I, I feel good about myself if I check the box of great mom, great wife, made dinner, um, uh, did the, d clean the floors, you know, uh, whatever it is, whatever checklist I think I need in my flesh, the demands I put on myself that actually just deplete me. And it reminded me of the story of Jesus with Mary and Martha. In Luke 10, 38 through 42, Jesus visits Mary and Martha. And Mary's really special to him. And if you read the Gospels, Mary shows up in more than just this story. But Mary was set free from a lot of demonic forces. And so she is completely and wholeheartedly now following Jesus, like at his feet, relishing every word that he speaks. But look at what her sister does. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their journey, they came to a village where a woman welcomed Jesus into her home. Her name was Martha and she had a sister named Mary. Mary sat down attentively before the master, absorbing every revelation he shared. But Martha became exasperated by finishing the numerous household chores in preparation for her guests. And all the mamas and the ladies in the house say, amen. So she interrupted Jesus, this is Martha, and said, Lord, don't you think it's unfair that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? You should tell her to get up and help me. Tell her, help me, get her in here. But Jesus answered, the Lord answered, Martha, my beloved Martha. See how kind he is? He's so kind and gentle, even in his rebukes. Why are you upset and troubled, pulled, pulled away by all of these many distractions? Are they really that important? Mary has discovered the one thing that most, that's most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted 
and I won't take this privilege from her. This is how you know conviction versus condemnation. See how gentle he was with her. She was focusing on the wrong things. She allowed too, much thing, too many things on her mind and in her calendar to distract her, to make her busy, to make her think about, to make her frenzied and frantic. Look at what the flesh wants us to do when we're frenzied. It wants us to bring other people into that space, right? Because she's like, she's like, you need to have her help me. I need her to come along and help me. You see, frenzied and busyness and being distracted by all of the wrong things makes us, makes us panicky and it makes us wanna bring other people into that space. And some of us live in that space of constantly being stressed out. And so because we're stressed out about all the things that we have to do, then our spouse is stressed out because they're stressed out about being with us. And then our kids are like taking anxiety medication because they can't stand to live in the same house with us because we got all these things, okay? That is the joy sucker. It is a joy sucker. When really Jesus just asks us for the one thing that's necessary. The one thing that's necessary is to make space for him to move in our life. It's to push our other obligations out of our calendar to make space to sit at his feet and to listen to what he wants to say. Because let me tell you something, when I realized that I was being a Martha the last two weeks, when I was running around busy and distracted and I was praying to him about all these things in my angry, angry prayer voice, you know what that is, where you're like, Jesus, will you take care of this? Jesus, my kids are just, <clears throat> when I'm angry praying, that's my angry prayer voice. I'm realizing that the kindness of Jesus, where he said to me, I said this on the way into the office, I have a prayer chair in my office, and he said, just go to your prayer chair. That's all he said. And I sat down in my prayer chair and he, he took me right to this passage. And he was like, you've been worried and you've been distracted about many things and you've forgotten the one thing that's needed to instill joy back into your spirit, to instill joy back into your circumstances in your life and your family is me. And so I wanna give everybody an opportunity today. Our affirmation for this is my joy is not dictated or controlled by demands put on me by myself or others. And it says in Psalm 16, 11, it says, you make known to me the path of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence. So not only is the joy of the Lord your strength, but in his presence is fullness of joy. And so I'm just gonna give us an opportunity this morning. We're gonna stay seated and Lucas is gonna lead us in a worship song and we're just gonna sit in his presence. And if you feel, if you feel comfortable, if you wanna come up to the altar and if you wanna kneel before him and be in his presence, I, on, at my prayer chair, I usually am like this, like, like, my chair seat is right here and I'm, I'm usually on my knees envisioning sitting at his feet in his presence because I want to hear from him because he has things he wants to download in my spirit. So if you want to come forward, you are more than welcome to. If you want him to speak something into your spirit, this, this space is open. It's sacred. If you want to get on your knees right where you are, feel free to do that. But we're going to take a few moments and we're going to sit in his presence. And I want you right now to open your heart to what he wants to speak to you.